Hey, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we've got a couple weeks left in this series that we've been unpacking this whole semester on the blessing from the life of Abraham. I hope it has ministered to you. I hope it's equipped you. It's certainly challenged and touched me with the goodness of God. And I began last week's message by talking to you about a crazy dream I had, and I had another dream this week. And um, this one wasn't as fun as the one I shared with you last week starting our Easter message. This was more of a nightmare. I had another dream about being in high school and getting a bad grade. Anybody have that reoccurring nightmare? Mine is always about math class. And um, man, I, I have more math nightmares. They, they always go like this. I come into a class and I am unprepared and I'm being given a test and I have that, do you have that experience when you don't know what to do of like a hot a heat wave going through you, like this hot flush and then this sick feeling at your stomach? Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had that taking tests. And today the topic is the purpose of tests, the purpose of tests. We're in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham had many tests. I think about high school, I think about my different experiences. Did you ever fail a test in high school? Wave, wave your hands, all you honest people out there. Thank you. Um, that, that, that feeling of failing a test was just awful. That feeling of going in to a test and not knowing what to do. And I think about, I think about feeling sick. I think about, I think about the occasional time where you go in and you know everything and you ace a test and how good that feels. Uh, there were some tests that Abraham passed in his life. I think about probably my most memorable test in high school. Hopefully you didn't have this experience. It was in Mr. Cromwell's psychology. And I went into that test, and I actually liked psychology. But that day, I don't know if you've ever gone in to take a test where you realize, man, I don't know anything. I, what, what was I studying? I was studying the complete wrong things. And then... In, in that moment, Mr. Cromwell decides to leave the classroom during a test, which is a test in itself. Because all of a sudden, I'm realizing I'm sitting next to one of the smartest people in there, and I'm ashamed to admit that I started looking over this person's paper, and, and they started providing me with some answers. And at that moment, Mr. Cromwell walks in and says, Robert Herber? as a question, and I'm like, nope, <laughs> don't know him. But I look up, and he's looking at me as I'm looking at someone else's paper. And he calls me out of class, and it says, were you cheating? And I'm like, yeah, another test. Uh, yes, sir, I, I'm so embarrassed I was. And so here's the real problem. Mr. Cromwell went to high school with my parents, and so he was friends with my parents. So then he calls my parents and tells them what I'm doing. And so my parents... I get home that day, and, and my parents are, are, say something that will mark me for the rest of my life. They said, you know, Robert, when you take a test, we care a lot more about what's inside of you than the grade you actually make. And, you know, that day I understood that when you take a test, it's not just the grade score you get, but it's what's inside of you that counts. And I want to talk about this today because Abraham, who was God's friend, took many tests. And I want to tell you today, and I want to encourage you to take notes because I promise you this is going to help you because I promise you that you're going to take tests. 
I want you to take notes because the, we're going to walk through the purpose of tests as we walk as friends of God. And the first point is this, tests show us what is inside. Proverbs 17.3 says this, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. What's that saying? It's saying the way you get pure silver, the way you get a beautiful piece of, of silver jewelry is you put it in the crucible. The way you get refined, beautiful gold is you have to put fire to it, and it's saying just in that same way that God tests our hearts, that this is something he does. You know, the interesting thing about a test at school, and I don't know many people that like tests, but the interesting thing about a test at school is it's it's a different day than the rest of the days at school because here's the normal, the normal day at school is you're sitting like you're doing right now and you're listening and receiving while the teacher or the professor is lecturing or teaching. So most days in school, you're in a receiving mode. But tests turn it around. On test day, you actually have a paper put in front of you and, and you are to give what you have. You're actually accountable that day to actually say, here, this is the day I'm not just receiving, this is the day that I'm telling you what's actually in me. Tests show us what's inside of us. I want to look at Abraham's most famous test. And just to be quite honest, a lot of people have a really hard time with this chapter. So let's dive into this. This is Genesis chapter 22. 1 through 18. And, and up to this point, we guys, we've seen Abraham take numerous tests. We've seen him pass some tests. Remember Genesis 12, really, where we start learning about Abraham? He's given a test where God says, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I'll show you. And he does it. And what happens? He gets blessed. We saw some other tests like a famine coming and all of a sudden Abraham leaves the land that God showed him. Or we see a king come up and say, hey, that woman's beautiful talking about Abraham's wife, and he goes, oh, it's my sister. So we see Abraham pass some tests. We see him fail some tests. Sometime later, this is verse 1 of chapter 22, sometime later God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. So let me just stop there and say, many people start reading this story and they're like, oh, this is gonna be a rough day. I don't wanna have anything to do with this. This is too hard. This is crazy. I wanna say, just keep listening. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the knife and the fire. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb 
for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Would you pray with me? Father, we look at this hard story. We look at this amazing story. We look at this challenging story. We look at this story that's now come true and to fruition, and we're asking that you'd open our eyes to understand, most importantly, your heart, who you are, and how it applies to us today in Jesus' name. Here's my spoiler for the whole message. I'm gonna spoil the whole thing. Spoiler alert. The greatest point of tests is this. God tests us to see if we're ready for his blessing. God tests us to see if we're ready for his blessing. You have seen this before. I've seen this numerous times. Someone gets blessed before they're ready, before they're prepared, and it actually destroys their life. How many stories have we seen of people who win the lottery and they end up worse than they started? Um, Maybe that doesn't sit close to home because maybe you've never actually known someone who won the lottery. I saw this coming out of college. I saw numerous Christian young men who had too much career and monetary success immediately after college. Like their businesses went through the roof, they started businesses, went through the roof, made millions, and every single one of them that I saw lost their marriage, lost their morality, ended up doing things they wish they would have never done, and destroying their family, and living very painful lives. Now, am I saying every time a person's financially successful, that's gonna happen? Of course not. But what I am saying is that we can have blessing before we've been tested, and that blessing becomes something that blows us up. Are you following me? If you're following, go like this. All right. I saw this um, with, with this wonderful young Christian singer, uh, such a gifting on her life. Uh, she was dating one of my friends, and, and all of a sudden she became really known, and she moved from just being a Christian singer to one of the most known, if I said her name, you'd know who it is, one of the most known celebrities in America, and then boom, what happens? This girl who grew up in this Christian family, blown up marriage, turned at family, all kinds of pain, all kinds of drama, lost her morality. Why? Too much blessing without 
the preparation. You even see it with pastors. A pastor could have too much ministry success, too fast, and all of a sudden they crash and burn, dependent on some kind of substance just to make it. Or they blow up their life from some affair or, or too much fame. There's a scandal. We see this all the time. Tests are God's way of preparing us for more blessing. So here's point number one. I want you to write this down today. Tests are not bad. Tests, they're not bad. Too many of us, when we're tested, we think that God's upset with us. And and thus, we want to run away from God, or we want to hit the ejection seat, or or we want to distance ourselves from God. Tests are not bad. Actually, I love what my wife says. She says, tests are actually there to give us more freedom on the other side. Uh, Have you ever been snorkeling before, like in tropical waters? Not in a lake. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, Hudson and Chloe are from Kauai. I've been to where they, they live. I've, I've snorkeled up there on the North Shore, and it is gorgeous. You're there, and you're seeing these beautiful fish of all the, you're like, wow, I've never even seen these colors. And then you're floating around, and you feel so free, you know. Uh, and and the, the only thing better than snorkeling is scuba diving, where you're, you're, the freedom of not even having to come up from air. The, the problem is I, I failed my scuba test. So I, I had some sinus problems. I, I, I was learning to scuba dive in Central Texas, horrible allergies, had a sinus infection, went down to the bottom of a lake. My ears wouldn't pop. I had to shoot up to the top. I'm a scuba failure. Um, sorry to tell you that. Your pastor's a scuba failure. And therefore, when I go to a place like Kauai, I don't get to scuba dive. I don't have that freedom because I didn't pass the test. Now, some of you are like, man, I can't really relate to this. But maybe you can relate to this experience. Have you ever just gotten in a car and gone wherever you wanted? You're like, I'm free. We, uh, we just got an old Jeep Wrangler, and we, so we've been going out on trails, and, I'm, and we're playing the music, you know, head out on the highway, and I just take I see a dirt road and I'm like and I feel so free but do you know that I had to take a test to be able to drive like if you have the freedom to drive it's because you took a test tests are given to give you a new freedom to give you a new responsibility to give you a promotion you don't get to go to the next grade unless you take a test And you don't get to graduate from high school. You don't get the freedom from high school until you pass the test. Here's the thing I I, I love is that no test will come to you that hadn't gone through the loving hands of God. So sometimes we think this test is going to destroy me. Can I just tell you that God's not going to let a test come to you that doesn't go through his hand. That's the lesson of the book of Job is that no test can come to you that hasn't gone through the filter of God. And it's only to bring more blessing and more reward at the end. This is what I love about Romans 8, 28. you got to put this scripture in your memory. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. Say, for the good of those who love him. So in all things, God works for the good. So if it hasn't turned out for your good yet, then it's not done. In all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed 
to, into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brothers, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. God is using the test to also conform us or to train us. That's point number two. God is using tests to train us and to shape us. I, I had this, this older friend that I was counseling years ago, and he had had tremendous uh, success in, in uh, uh, I don't feel like I'm supposed to tell that story. We'll keep going. That was a test for me. Let me ask you, what, what test are you in today? What test are you in today? Perhaps it's a relational test. Like perhaps there's, there's challenges or brokenness in a relationship. Perhaps it's a character test. Perhaps you're being asked to do something. I, I, I talked to someone the other day. They were a teacher, and they said, I'm asked to teach something that I, I can't teach. Perhaps it's a character test. Perhaps it's a dream that you thought was from God that's not happening. Perhaps it's that kind of test. Perhaps it's a test with your boss. A boss is being harsh or, or some authority figure. They're being harsh with you. Perhaps it's a test in your family. Perhaps there's friction in your family or there's animosity in your family. Perhaps there's a financial test. Perhaps it's a job that you thought you were called to and now it's challenging. And you're going, wait, I, I thought this was from you, Lord, and now it's so incredibly challenging. Perhaps it's a location test. You're like, I, I thought I was called here, but nothing seems to be working out. This seems to be so hard. This seems to be so challenging. Perhaps it's a singleness test. A lot of people in this church are having this test. And you're like, I'm trying to live for you. Why does this person who's clearly not living for God, they get all the dates? Right? You're, you're like, I'm, I'm trying to be moral. This person, they're doing whatever, and they get all the men, or they get all the women, right? Why does everyone find each other on Tinder and not Christian Mingle? Right? I, I don't get it, Lord. I'm trying, to go, I'm trying to go your way. Perhaps it's a season where you thought you were supposed to get something and someone else got it. Perhaps it's that test. Tests train us. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. When you go through a test, it's actually God working his Holy Spirit maturity in you. The only way to become more mature is for you to go through a test. Now, let me show you one of, one of God's most beloved friends. Because sometimes we think, you know, the closer I am to God, the more nothing's going to happen that's challenging. And that's just not the case because Abraham, known as a friend of God, it actually says the Lord tested Abraham. Or how about this? How about David, the beloved shepherd boy turned king? Let's look at his life for a moment. It says this, whatever mission King Saul sent him on, so remember King Saul is the king at the time, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Okay, 
I have no idea what it sounded like in Hebrew, but that was my best attempt. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. So sometimes we're tested by the praise we receive. Or sometimes it's a test when you get bragged on in front of other people. And so what happens? Saul is angry. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, listen to this, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, that's the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So this isn't just once. Two times, Saul tries to kill David. You think you had a bad week at work. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David. Some of you, you're having a hard time at work because people actually see God is with you. This person's got favor. And so you got bosses or coworkers or at school. So have you ever noticed that you're like, I did nothing and this person hates me? Right? And some, some of us think if I was just nicer, everyone would love me. No, they hated Jesus. No one's been more Jesus-like than Jesus. And people wanted to kill him. So he sent David away from him, and he gave him a command over a 1,000 men, and David led the troops into their campaigns. And then we see Saul try to kill David again, and what does David have to do? He has to run off and hide in the desert. So David, who belonged, he, he had the promise that you're going to be the next king. All of a sudden, where is he living? He's living in the desert. He's living in a cave. Some of you are having trouble with your authorities. Your students are having trouble with a professor, you're having trouble with your principal, you're having trouble with a teacher. Men and women, you're having trouble with a boss, you're having trouble with someone that's in charge of something, and you're like, why are they coming against me? And I'll never forget the day that I was in the shower and God spoke to me. It took Saul's spear to make David a desert father. It took, what does that mean? It took Saul's spear to force David out in the desert to become a deep well of a man who met with Jesus in the quiet place. Are you following me? Like, it, it would have been natural for a king, the next king, King David, to be raised up in the palace. But God was like, I don't need just another soft king who just has people waiting on him hand and foot and, and who's just living all, off the nice stakes in the palace. No, I actually, I'm looking for a man of God who knows me. It took Saul's spear for us to have the book of Psalms. Are you following me? No Saul's spear, no book of Psalms, because it was in the desert, it was in the caves, that David wrote things like this. He wrote, if an enemy, this is Psalm 55, 12, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend. He's like a close friend. Has attacked me. Some of you have lost a close friend. It's a test, and God is saying, but this can make you like David, where you find me the closest friend. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me, unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God is enthroned from of old, who does not change. He will hear them. Do you understand what is happening here? Here's what I find. When things are going good for me, 
I'm, I'm oftentimes not that motivated to seek God evening, morning, and noon and to cry out, God, save me from the wicked. No, I'm more inclined to go kick up on the recliner and watch Netflix. So David, you know, could have been watching whatever, the shepherd reality show, but instead he's forced into the desert where he's crying out, God, this guy's trying to kill me. you got to protect me. God, I'm crying out to you moment by moment by moment. And all of a sudden, he's having these crazy revelations where he's like, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The seas, he found it upon the seas. He's like, God sits enthroned among the cherubim. I mean, he's having this great revelation. Why? Because he was driven there by the spear. Can I tell you, your tests are going to drive you into the presence of God. Your tests are going to change you into a person of great revelation and great encounters. It's typically in the greatest tests that we have the greatest encounters. You look back on your life and the places where you met God were the places where you were desperate for God. Because here's the next point. God will not destroy you in a test. Nor is he even taking away your dream. So many of us think, God, you're trying to destroy me. That, that is what I felt in life. Growing up, I, I became a Christian early, and I would try out and say, God, I want to give you my life, but please, you're, I know you want to take everything away from me. Okay, anyone, can anyone be honest and be like, I, I was always like, God, I want to give you my life, but don't make me a missionary in Africa. I always prayed that prayer. And so I was like, God, so I'm going to kind of keep you out here, because if I get you too close, I know you're going to throw that missionary card at me. God is not trying to destroy your life. And God's not also, he's also not trying to take away your dream. Genesis 22, 9 through 12. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you are not, you have not withhold held from me your son, your only son. God doesn't delight, write this down. God does not delight in taking things away from you. God does not delight in taking things away from you. He is, he is not in heaven going, let's see how much I can strip this person. Right? The only thing he's glad about taking away is what's gonna kill you. Right, I mean, there, there was a time where my sweet little daughter reached in the drawer, got this shiny, beautiful thing and started running around the house, and I said, stop, and I took it. Why? Because she had a knife and she was running like this. That's the only time God loves to take things away from you is when it'll kill you. But God is not a God who delights in taking things away from you. So I, I had this experience, this test, where God had given me this vision or this dream and I'm like, God, why are you taking it away from me? Because <clears throat> I got into college and God gave me this, this dream or this vision, I had it in a vision, of becoming a pastor. And I hadn't planned on being a pastor. And then I, I was like, yes, God, I surrender. I'll be a pastor. And then all of a sudden I started really wanting to be a pastor. And I was like, ooh, that's really cool. And someday I'm going to have a desk and I'm going to actually have the words Pastor Robert written on the desk, and then I was like, people will come in, and they will see Pastor Robert on my, on my door, and they will knock and say, Pastor, may I come in? I'll say, come in. And they'll sit down, and they'll say, Pastor Robert, I'll say, how may I pastor you, sheep? 
<clears throat> and so I started, I started getting really into this dream, right? And it started kind of fueling me. And, and so I remember I, I went through the training school in our church so I could be trained because that was the, the way that you could go into ministry in, in, in our churches. And so I went through the, the, the training school. And, and when I was coming back, our, our trip was about six weeks. It was a lot longer. And when I was coming back, the guy who had been the pastor, the college pastor over at College Students in our large college ministry, he was moving to be a missionary somewhere else. So I was the next in line. So I was excited. I'm like, this is the day that I become a pastor. And so I actually get back from my mission trip and I go to meet with our lead pastor. And I'm kind of a dramatic person. So I actually thought that he was going to be like, kneel down, Robert. And I was going to kneel down and he'd be like, I knight you, pastor. Robert, rise up, pastor and pastor students. And and I walk in, and I'm thinking, this is it. And, and he goes, how did your mission trip go? And I was like, hey, oh, it was awesome. It was so exciting. And he's like, yeah, I heard that you kind of were flirting with Stephanie the whole time. We weren't even dating back then. I was like, yeah, so? And I'm thinking, yeah, awesome. She's cute, of course. And he's like, yeah, you know, that, that's not what you were supposed to do on the trip. And, and anyway, I'm thinking, you know, this is my time to become a pastor. And he's like, we don't actually think you're ready. And I just sunk. Oh, and I walked out that day, and maybe you've done this before. You're like, God, you gave me this dream of being a pastor. I was doing you a favor, becoming a pastor, and now you have taken away this dream. And I was so frustrated. Some of you right now, you're in a test, and you're like, God, you told me to do this job, and now I can't get this job. Right? God, you told me to have kids, and I can't have kids. God, you told me to move to this new neighborhood, and there's no house for sale. Anybody had a dream, a dream like this? God, you told me to marry the, like, I know I'm supposed to marry this person, and it's not happening right now. Remember that, Hudson? God, you, 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 uh, and you're like, God, this dream was from you, and now why have you taken it away? It's because God's working on you. And he's conforming you. So I'm on a walk with the Lord that day, and I'm, I'm whining to him, which is fine. That's legal, by the way, in the Bible. Wine to the, lift up a wine to the Lord. It's very legal. When you, when, actually, when you whine to the Lord, he, he is so gracious that he speaks to us. Like when my kids whine, I actually respond to them. Uh, God's usually more gracious than how I respond. But um, I'm whining to him, and he says, Robert, do you want your life mission statement? I'm like, Wow. Yeah, I, I do, Lord. And he says this, love Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, okay, love Jesus. And I'm like, no, that's biblical. Um, he's like, that's what I want you to do. Like, love Jesus. That's, that's your life mission. Not being a pastor, love Jesus. And he said, here, and this, feed my sheep. And I thought, you know what, that's, yeah, that's biblical too. John, John 21, Jesus looked at Peter and said, feed my sheep, take care of my people. And then he said, and fish for men. Oh, and I thought, yeah, that's very biblical. He said, come after me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And then God said this, and Robert, no matter what your job is, if you do those three things, you'll be successful in my kingdom. Whether you're a pastor, you're working down the street at the 7-Eleven, whether you're collecting garbage, whether you're a, a surgeon, if you love Jesus, feed my sheep and fish for men, you'll be successful. Why? Because God cares more about the inside. And he's conforming us into looking like Jesus. And he wants to send people that look like Jesus into every 
place in society. And let me just tell you, your job is going to change, folks. Your location is going to change. Your relationships are going to change. And God is looking for what's on the inside. And so, at this point, you can be going, oh my gosh, so this message that I'm just going to oh, get tough and get ready and oh, make myself stronger so I can pass the test, right? Like sometimes we're in the gym and you're about to try to max out on, on bench press and so you, you know, people start jumping up and down. Oh, I'm going to put myself up, right? And a lot of times, let's be honest, that's what church is. You know, we're like, I'm going to put myself up to be a better Christian. And if that's how you leave today, then you've totally missed grace. You totally missed the grace of God because it's actually not about you becoming a better you. It's about receiving the grace of God. Because I want to tell you the next point is this, God will give you what you need in a test. God will give you what you need in a test. Oh, man, I got to go back for a second because this stuff in my notes is really good, and I don't want to cheat you out of it. Um, you know, this whole thing about God not taking away your dream or your vision, what God does take us through is this, what I call the life cycle of a vision or dream. So I had a dream about being a pastor, but, but Jesus says it this way. He says, listen carefully, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat, but if it's buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over in the same way. Anyone who holds on to their life, just as it is, destroys that life, but if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. He says, unless a kernel of a wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear much fruit. So God does this. This is how God works. Write this down. God gives you a dream or vision, but then he calls you to let it go, and it's called the death of a vision, and then it really goes. It goes into the ground, and you're like, this is never going to happen. I'm never going to be a pastor. I'm never going to have this career. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to live in this place. I'm never going to have this thing, and you actually have to let it die, and then God supernaturally resurrects it. Why? Because he gets the glory, and he transforms you in the process. Thank you, three claps. Here's the deal. God will give you what you need in the test. I love this. Abraham, prophetically speaking, Genesis 22, 8. Isaac says, God, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So you're in a test. Who, who's in a test right now? Just wave at me. You're like, I'm in a test. Yeah, that's most everyone. You're in a test. God is going to actually give you what you need. It's not, don't leave this service going, okay, i got to be tougher, stronger, whoo, get my test on, right? No. Just cling to God. I'm just saying, don't hit the ejection seat. Don't try to control matters, and don't try to run away, right? You control, you end up having an Ishmael, you run away, you get swallowed by a whale. Neither are a good option, we've learned from the Old Testament, Okay, no, your goal, cling to Jesus. And what does he do? He actually will give you what you need. 
He'll, he'll, sometimes it's he gives you a verse. He gives you a verse to cling on to. Sometimes he gives you just a, a supernatural peace. Sometimes he fills you with strength or you feel his power rushing into you. Sometimes he sends a, a, a prophetic person to give you a prophetic word. Sometimes he gives, a lot of times he gives you a promise. In the midst of a test, he says, no, this is my promise. Listen to this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Are you understanding? God had promised him Isaac, he had given him Isaac, and then he said, you're gonna have all these blessings through Isaac, and then all of a sudden the test is, you have to give up Isaac. And so what does it say about Abraham? Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. God will give you a promise. Cling to that promise even when it seems impossible because no promise from God is without power to accomplish the answer to the promise. It might be sending you a soul friend who gives you empathy. It might be a book or a podcast that he strengthens you through. It might be a sign or wonder. It might be a material blessing. It might be a supernatural miracle. I don't know what it is, but God, here's the crazy thing. God gives you a test, but then God gives you the strength to take the test. Let, let me explain what the kingdom's like. God gives you a test, and he gives you the perfect test for you. You don't need to be out like, okay, well, I guess I need to go find a test today. God's going to give you the test, but here's, God is the teacher who gives you the test and then sits down next to you. The test giver sits down next to you and is like, and now I'm going to be with you in the test. But it's not just that. Watch this. We can expect to meet Jesus in the test. Here's why tests are so good, because they're divine invitations for encounters, Whenever you start having a crazy test, get excited. That's why scripture says, consider it pure joy. Why? Because you're about to meet Jesus. You're about to experience Jesus in a way you couldn't have outside of the test. Watch this. Abraham looked up, so he's, he's about to sacrifice his son. And then it says, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horn. So first of all, Abraham's in the, about to be in this test, and what happens an angel of the Lord appears. That's cool. But the test is what led to the encounter. And then watch. It says, then he looks up and there's a ram in the thicket. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Okay, please follow me. God gives his friends tests. It's not bad. Then God says, and I'm going to strengthen you in the test. You don't have to build yourself up. No, it's just, okay, God, I'm with you. And then God says this. You're going to actually meet me in the test. What you can expect in the test is I actually show up. This is crazy. And I actually, I'm kind of like this. I'm the teacher who said, here's a test. I'm going to sit down and then goes, poop, knocks you out of the chair and says, actually, I'm going to take the test for you. Are you following me? He said, sacrifice your son. Go make a sacrifice. And then he provides the sacrifice. He said, make a sacrifice. And then he provides the sacrifice. 
What in the world? You think, oh, God, you're so hard to put me through this test. He's saying, no, actually, it's an invitation to intimacy. I'm going to be with you, and then actually, I'm going to take the test for you. Just hold on to me. And you're going to come out knowing me so much more. Someone's about to get encouraged. So why the test? Why the test? But because God had this huge dream for Abraham. Do you know that God never intended to give Abraham just one son? Abraham was just wandering through the wilderness just saying, God, will you just give me one kid? So Eliezer isn't my, my, my servant, doesn't get all the inheritance. He's like, I just want one kid. And God's like, I never intended it. I'm just giving you one. I intended on giving you millions of descendants. But the only way I can trust you with a million is if I can trust you with one. Why did God have to see if Abraham would give up a son? Because God wanted to see, can I trust you with a million sons? Why is God letting you go through a test? It's because he has way more blessing than even what you think. It's way bigger than the one little, I just, I, just, I just need enough to pay my rent. He's like, no, I want to trust you with so much more. It's not just squeaking by. No, you're my children. I want to bless you. I, I, I've told this story numerous times, but God called me and Steph to build a house uh, it, it, when we lived in Central Texas. Uh, and, and he called us to build a house, and the first thing he does is he say, I want you to give all your money away. And so we had a little living inheritance. We had $27,000. But I don't know if you know it costs more than $27,000 to build a house. And he told us to build it debt-free. <clears throat> and so God speaks, give that money away. That was really hard for me. It wasn't that hard for Steph. But it was really hard, and I'm being serious, but it was really hard for me. And the crazy thing is, we gave away that 27000 and we got well over $100,000 from all these different sources that we still don't know and built a house debt-free. Why? It, God wants to test you with the tens before he gives you 100. He's got to test you in the 10 before he gives you the 100. Then we own this house and we're like, oh my gosh, we own a house debt-free that we built. This is amazing. And then God calls us to San Diego. You're like, God, I just got everything set here. <laughs> we were all set. We didn't have a house payment or anything, and now you're calling me. And people started coming up to me. That's awesome, though, because houses in San Diego, I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot. And I'm like, yes, I have looked. They're like, you can sell that and have $100,000. And then God speaks to me and says, would you give me your house? And I'm like, oh. And you know what? By now, I'd probably know, you know, when he's asking that test, it's because he has something better. But then I'm like, oh, God even though he had just given me the house. So we sold it and write a check for $100,000. And, and it, something didn't happen immediately. But a handful of years later, God calls us to buy another house. And this house was four hundred dollars when we bought it. But now it's worth three times that. I had to be trusted with the ten to get the hundred. We had to be trusted. What can you, will you do? Will you be a steward with the hundred for the million? Now, I'm not talking about finances today, guys. And I'm embarrassed to even share the story, but you gotta understand that the reason God was testing Abraham with the one son is he never planned on just giving him one son. He planned on giving him millions. But he had to know that he could trust him. And so when God comes with a test, you need to get encouraged because there's an upgrade on the other side. 
It's because he's saying, son, daughter, I want to give you more. A heart of a father. My, my sons, we just went down to Mexico, and they were fishing, and they were catching all these fish. And I just love, I love that they were getting blessed and catching fish. And we get back, and someone shows me a picture of someone catching even more fish in San Diego. And I didn't say, well, but my son caught enough fish in Mexico. That, you should just be happy with that for your life. I'm like, hey, can I, my son go with you? Why? Because I, I never stop wanting to bless my son. Selah. Think about that. God never stops wanting to bless you. But we have to go through the test to see if we're ready for the blessing. And the ultimate blessing is meeting with Jesus. When you understand that blessings are on the other side, it becomes easier to bear the tests. When you understand that blessings are always on the other side, it's easier to bear the test. Let me give you the last one. Tests past become the monuments and milestones that we build our lives on. Write that down. Tests past become the monuments and milestones that we build our lives on. For some reason, I had always missed this, of where the temple was actually built. So we're in Israel, and we ascend from the Dead Sea, and we're on this tour bus, and they're playing this old, cheesy 80s worship music about going into Jerusalem, and I'm like, this is so cheesy. And next thing I know, I'm just weeping as we come into Jerusalem, as we're like doing the pilgrimage that people have done for years to go up and worship Jehovah. And what I never understood until we got to Jerusalem is that the temple was built on Mount Moriah. What is Mount Moriah? Mount Moriah is where Abraham offered Isaac and God didn't take Isaac and instead he provided the sacrificial lamb which pointed to Jesus dying for our sins and giving us grace that he is the one who gives us life eternal as a gift. And the temple was made at that same spot where God provided the sacrificial lamb. And your tests become the place that you come back and say, God met me and he showed himself and I encountered him and I have intimacy with him and he did this for me. And throughout your life, you come back to those places again and again and you're strengthened in your faith because of what God did in that test. That is your inheritance. So rejoice in your test. Would you stand up with me?